0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. This episode is presented by Solescence, a developer and manufacturer of patented and award-winning environmental protection formulas for beauty brands.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Oshry, the Chief Marketing Officer at Mesa, And to me, it's a matter of conceptualization.
0: While brands are the consumer-facing manifestation of the beauty and wellness industry, there's a vast ecosystem behind the scenes that brings them to life and keeps them in business. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter a new trend has emerged from this ecosystem, and it's called brand incubators. These turnkey operations are uniquely equipped with the infrastructure and know-how to fast-track made-for-retail lines often done in collaboration with an influencer or an entrepreneurial celebrity. For big-box retailers like Target and Walmart, these incubator brands have helped reinvigorate their beauty aisles with brands that are not only relevant but exclusive. Success requires creative vision, business acumen, and an organization that runs like a well-oiled machine. Scott Oshery, the chief marketing officer at Mesa, and his team are pioneers of the incubator model. While it seems like a new incubator pops up every day, this business model is one that is far more complicated than it appears. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I know it's taken a lot. We've been trying to sort of plan this for months. Schedule, sickness, but now here we are. I think COVID has slowed everyone's schedules down, so it's really good to see your face. Well, or hear your voice, because you. I see your face, but it's a it's a podcast. Um, you know, so... Maybe we should start with um, a little background on Mesa because Mesa is sort of a behind-the-scenes player in the beauty industry and responsible for many brands people know. But can you explain what Mesa is and sort of um, as a company and what you guys do in the the ecosystem of beauty?
1: Mesa is a, although... I thought we used to say this and we were unique, but no longer are we unique, a beauty brand incubator. So we pride ourselves in identifying white space globally and conceptualizing on beauty brands that fill that white space. So at the highest level, that's what Mesa does. We break that down into two categories. One category is we help existing beauty brands bring new products to market, manage brands that they have. They sort of outsource their work to us and we manage that work for them. Uh, We do it in an a la carte way, but I would say the majority of our business now would be full turnkey for other beauty companies that come to us. We help them identify growth within their brands, new categories, uh, new product launches. And then we manage all of those said launches from a formula, packaging, manufacturing, regulatory uh, standpoint, and we ship them products. On the other side of what Mesa does within incubating is when... We incubate directly for retailers, and that actually is broken down into two segments. One might be a retailer coming to us saying, hey, uh, can you help us identify a white space? Or we've kind of identified a white space, or we're kind of thinking about a brand. Can you create something for us? Um, For example, Urban Outfitters was looking for something new and different, and we conceptualized with them the brand OHI and then provide that turnkey to them. What Mesa then does at the highest level is when we incubate a brand for a retailer that starts off exclusive at that retailer with the idea that post that exclusivity being up, that brand will then ship everywhere, no different than a full CPG company so that is when we look again at a white space not only particular to that retailer that we would be launching in but being sure that it not only works for that retailer for launch but then has the ability to then go to a multitude of different retailers post-launch and when we do that we we do that regionally so that's happening in the united states but we also have offices in seven other countries so We take those same brands and we'll launch those brands under the same model in those other regions where they will have some exclusivity for a certain amount of time. And then when that exclusivity is up, they will branch out.
0: You know, I I also I think that I mean, Mesa has sort of grown into a very sophisticated business and a very large business. You had a business before this called Zorbit, Mm -hmm. which that you founded, um, with some other, uh, colleagues. And that's, I think where I first met you and Scott Kastenbaum, who's supposed to be on the podcast with us today, but isn't. And, you know, you guys have really been innovating on the supply side of the beauty industry for a long time. Um, you know, Zorbit was kind of this new way of selling packaging. Even from how you guys designed it, even to how you guys did new business, um, it w- it made the supply side of the business seem fun. Mm-hmm. And the supply side of the business is usually not very fun. Mm-hmm. And can you share a little bit about those Zorbit days? Because they were kind of crazy. they were kind of the, the seeds of what you built at Mesa.
1: Yeah, it, it's a little hazy. Zorbit was a lot <laughs> like being being in a fraternity. I'm not sure. I, I think I blacked a lot of that out. But um, thank you for the compliments. Uh, it, you know, it was a group of us. But I think what made Zorbit work and what ultimately is making Mesa work is that we didn't come from the beauty industry. So we were... in a a completely separate industry we had built a company up for for 10 years and like Mesa was a very fast-paced company we were on Inc. 500 five years in a row and we exited that company to a pretty sizable company and kind of went on our own way and sort of did all those things that people do when they sell a business and and, uh, Scott Kestenbaum I wish he was here to expand on the story but stumbled into doing a a project for for Victoria's Secret Beauty and that's what sort of brought us into to the business and we all came from a different business where we were full turnkey and we were fully vertically integrated outside of contract manufacturing so we had in-house industrial design in-house engineering in-house branding in-house graphic design um in-house everything and and we would fight for retail space and build brands and we were our own CPG company and we would support said brands um, all throughout the United States. So when we started supplying people, we took the same approach. We would walk in and they would say, gee, I'm kind of thinking about this bottle and we would come with full CAD work, everything spec'd out, graphics done, mechanicals done this sort of concept of you have a graphic designer and then you have a mechanical person and they're not one in the same and and everything was engineered and we took into consideration of undercuts and fill weights and we just sort of that's how we had to be when we were our own company so when we started servicing other people we 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 just kind of took that same approach but but I guess that's what sort of thrusted us forward quickly and um and on top of that, we also weren't pigeonholed that we would only do molding or only do plastic or only do glass or only do some segment because in our old world, we, we were doing everything. So we just started doing everything and, and we were kind of an anomaly within the business and sort of not bound by conventional thinking because we were just a bunch of fricking knuckleheads that just came from all over the place. And, and so uh, under your, your comments of what was it like? And it seemed like you guys were fun I guess we were because we were just a bunch of You threw of great kids. parties. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was paying attention to these kids and were out there going, Yeah, we can do this and we can do that and 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 we did and 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 yeah, it was fun. It was it was definitely fun.
0: I have uh, I think there are three people who used to work for me that work for you guys now. And you know, I I, I guess because I've known you guys and I also understand the culture because it's sort of very similar to how I've run the businesses that I have. But you have this culture, you had it at Zorbit and it exists at Mesa where it's like work hard, play hard. You know, like you guys work so hard, but you also have a lot of fun doing it. And you created a culture where people actually like hang out. Well, probably not now because no one's working in the same place anymore. But there's this culture of like people actually like to hang out and socialize together and it's a really kind of special culture it's not an easy culture because you guys really work hard and I have very high standards but you know how how has that evolved during like the last five months because that culture is something really special I think it's not for everyone but it's very special
1: yeah I mean a lot of accolades thank you we we, I, I so everybody that works all, all the sort of founders, partners in this company, we've never worked for anybody else ever. So we just don't know how it's supposed to be. So we just kind of do it the way we just, again, going back to sort of that collegiate statement, we we just do it normally. So we don't have really a hierarchy and we like to, so I've got a lot of isms and one of my isms is we, we don't have bosses, it's just a bunch of people working together um, trying to to create something new, better, different, relevant, and accessible. And everybody's voice matters, everybody. And uh, so it, it does feel, I, it, it's, it is a tough environment. One of my other statements is I bring up to people when they're interviewing is, so they say, well, what's the corporate culture like here? What, what would it be like to work here? And, and my response is, well, I guess it would be like working living, breathing in a submarine during wartime. That's what it's like at Mesa. So if you can thrive in a submarine during wartime, you'll do great here. So the reason I state that is because you you brought up how we've been sort of transitioning over these past five months, which truly have been awful for the world. Uh, The new saying is, it's like working in a submarine during wartime with a torpedo in the water. So everybody has upped their game. The red light is on, we could be sunk, and, and that hyper sense of adrenaline rush, whereby you're, you're, you know, you're threatened and you're alert and astute, that's just where everybody that works for us went. And man, I, I, it's so funny you bring it up because we were just having a upper management meeting today discussing next steps when we're going back to the office, Working to ever navigate these waters right now, and we were just reminiscing about how proud and kind of in awe and humbled we are about how everybody just stepped up, and not one thing has been missed. Our growth plan for next year is unwavered. Our our, our sales are unwavered. Um, we've we've had a couple you know, small downsizing, which hurts. Um, but all in we've kept that same kind of family feel and, and we're lucky, lucky. Yeah.
0: But your and your team has grown. I mean, it's not a small team anymore, but mm-hmm. it does feel sort of like, you know, it doesn't feel like a big business, but it definitely is a big business.
1: Yeah. We we just moved into a new space, unfortunately, right before COVID. And I was space planning that space and we were moving into, what are we now? I don't know. I guess it's maybe like 30,000 square feet or something, 35,000 square feet. And it was going to last us four years. And now we're looking at the, if everything goes right at the you know, six months from now and we won't, we'll be, we'll be out of space.
0: That is amazing. But you know, you, you, you intimated that, you know, what you used to do was sort of, you were one of the, the only people kind of incubating brands. And now I feel like you, everyone considers themselves a brand incubator. There are so many of them. You know, I still think that the way you guys go about things is is very different. I think, you know, having had the opportunity to work with you guys, one of the things I love is like, nothing is ever a problem. Stock, anything custom, no problem. We can do that. You know, have you, I guess during COVID, because, you know, you do have sort of these competitors, but I would say, you know, you guys have had all of these years to refine the supply chain, which is really the secret sauce, um, but your model is heavily reliant on retail. Like, how have you navigated sort of the retail shutdown? It's
1: so another one of those things where we're just fortunate in the industry that we're in. So if you think about it, places like Walmart, Target, Amazon, CVS, those places are, uh, Dollar General, those places are thriving. Their numbers are up. And and that makes up the bulk of our, of our business. Those are the people that we sell to. So I... I, I hate to say things like this because people have lost their lives during COVID. People have lost their loved ones. They've lost their business. The the, the disruption that has happened to them is life changing. Uh, so I hate to make statements like, wow, we're having some of the best weeks we've ever had. But we are just because those retailers are, are thriving.
0: Yeah. No, I, I do think, you know, during this pandemic, period it the it's really a matter of you know were you considered an essential retailer or not and you know but I but I think even before COVID I was really sort of impressed by what was happening in the food drug and mass channel much more than department stores like what High V has created it looks like a Sephora in a in a in a food store, and you know how Target has reinvented themselves, and what M- Walmart is doing like uh, almost the, the the mass outlet seems more exciting and more dynamic in many ways.
1: I'm a huge believer in retail and retail because I'm a, I'm a huge believer in experience. And I think when you look at the people who have succumbed, I mean, obviously, COVID has accelerated the retail channels and retailers that were struggling a little bit, so it certainly accelerated it, but you had retailers that were doing great and growing and it's because they, they offered a reason to shop. And I said it a moment ago, which is, we show up to work every day and try to think how, again, we can be new, better, different, relevant, and accessible, and there's retailers that, that fill that space. You had department stores closing in Manhattan, but Nordstrom's was expanding. Um, you have retailers like Hy-Vee, who, who the numbers they put on the board are, are, are crazy, but you have Target, who, who's gaining ground tremendously in new categories they're getting into are growing. And you look at that and it's not hard to understand why, because they're offering something with a point of view. They're offering something that's different and it's just now that the threat of online shopping really started to sink in. Amazon Prime came around, it changed Amazon, it, it changed how we shopped. Again, COVID has accelerated that, but, but I think it didn't so much change how we shopped, I think it, it changed how we find product. And, and that's the key differentiation. Whether I'm walking down the store aisle with my legs and my eyes and looking something for something, my legs are just a carrier for my eyes to go see. No different than if I'm thumbing through web pages with my thumbs and looking with my eyes, my thumbs are just a way to go see. So retailers that bring interesting products to purchase, do well and, and consumers are, are searching that out. And consumers will talk about experiences all day long and stores that they like to go to all day long. So I think retail is gonna make a resurgence because post COVID people are gonna wanna get out, they're gonna wanna be with their friends, they're gonna wanna walk, they're gonna, they're gonna have those life experiences, they're gonna be able to take selfies and pictures and, and, and film and, and, and create moments. Uh, outside of their home and places that offer a reason to be, I think consumers will hunt those out.
0: Yeah, you know, it's. It, it, it just actually occurred to me that the channels that we're talking about the Hy-Vee, the Target, the Walmart, they also don't have the same issues of a Sephora or an Altar department store where, you know, the biggest question now is what does that experience look like? Because it was incredibly high touch. Well, you can't touch anyone. Testers were probably always disgusting and probably should have gone away a long time ago. But that, you know, in the channels that are sort of thriving right now because they were open, they've always had to think about the category differently because it wasn't as high touch and it was more open sell. Mm-hmm. So they almost have, I guess, a competitive advantage in this kind of environment because the expectations are different.
1: I agree with you. But also I think that, uh, that those environments aren't super new anymore. Yeah. So I think you would pop into an Ulta and Sephora because you were out. And now that you're not out, you, you know, you've found other ways to buy. So then you ask yourself the question, I'm going out do I want to go to Sephora? Do I want to go to Ulta? And maybe you think to yourself, I guess I kind of don't have to. You know, I've been there a bunch and nothing's really changed. I guess I can maybe get it online. So I, I think that, again, it goes back to experience. This is a, a, a an example I was using the other day when we were talking about fixturing and experience and, and how that could drive. And if you've ever if you live in Manhattan, I urge you to pop into the restoration hardware uh, and meatpacking. So this is, a, this is a huge space, huge space. It's what, five floors, oh, six massive. floors, with a restaurant on top, and it's full every single day. The restaurant pack, and there's just people drinking coffee, sitting on furniture, hanging out just there with their dogs hanging out and they finally reopened post uh, post the shutdown here in in New York and I I went there to look at a color for a couch that we were going to order and we walked in the door and it was packed so packed that they were actually asking people to leave because it was too many people post wow so that just goes to show you that people do want to get out. And 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 that's still a fresh new experience. And so people want want to experience that. So I, <laughs> I, I wonder if if again Ulta and Sephora are gonna be pressed to to create something that feels a little new to kind of pull their customer back in.
0: Yeah. I mean, what retailers, I mean, not just in the beauty space, but what retailers are you sort of inspired by that really do create sort of experiences and reasons for people to shop or at least maybe not even shop. Sometimes I think retail is about, um, the experience itself and you might buy it online, but it's an important piece to the, to the path to purchase.
1: Yeah. Uh, well the aforementioned one restoration hardware, I think is doing a really, really great job creating experience. Uh, I was very anxious to go to the new mall, um, here in New Jersey, 85% experience and 15% shopping. Cause the idea was, is if you're really enjoying the experience, it will draw you back in to then come and shop. So they have indoor skiing and a water park and. Very, oh, the one very, in New Jersey? Yes. I was very yeah. anxious to go see what that's like because it's taking that concept to, to the highest level. I think, to be quite honest with you, although it's less about experience and more about just a tribute to constantly thinking product at a higher level, Target has still not disappointed. They they just continue to to challenge themselves, and I find that I find that refreshing. There's some newness that's coming out from a retailer that I can't mention. Uh, I wish I could because, because it's going to be really interesting. Okay, uh, well you'll
0: send us the press release. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, it's
1: the retailer that you're not expecting, a really fresh concept. In a very interesting price strategy, and it's uh, it's going to be it's going to if it works, it's going to really challenge Walmart and Target at the same time.
0: Interesting. You know, I I couldn't agree more about Target. You know, living in Manhattan, it's not so easy to get into a Target and really experience it kind of the way you do in in kind of the the suburban stores. But I spent most of the past five months in Maryland and I was just recently in a Target and I was really blown away because I'd seen the pictures and I had read about it. But I was so impressed by the experience, like it was beautiful, it was clean, it was easy to shop. Kristen S looked amazing, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. I'm like, you know, if I lived here, I I would shop beauty here.
1: Yeah, actually, I, here's another one that that I should have mentioned, and shame on me. Five Below. So if you've never been to a Five Below, again, understanding that it's geared for a young adult, they take. Designed pretty darn seriously. You walk in there and you start picking up headphones and beauty products and home products and you look at the packaging and it's four bucks and you're, you're pretty, pretty shocked. So they have built a very interesting experience for that age group, for for preteens and teens. They have this huge candy section that looks like you walked into Willy Wonka and candy everywhere and entertainment. And it's you could see the kids shopping. It's, it's, it's like a little slice of Disneyland. They're running around. They're looking. They're picking up. They're wanting. They're asking, can we get this? Can we get this? Can we get this? and And just smartly done. You might drive by one and, and look at the logo in the outside of the store, and maybe think to yourself, "There's not something special there." But, but they've also built an experience, and, and they were thriving pre-COVID, thriving.
0: And now, here's our trend minute, brought to you by big thinkers that aren't afraid to make predictions.
2: I'm Shane Hart, founder and CEO of creative and branding studio Black Box. Here's what's trending this minute. Bench, Quip, Oscar, Ladder, Hum, Bloom, Step Up, Lux, Expa, Honest, Frame, Tool, Frog. These are all new brands. Well, <laughs> actually not all of them. Most of them we just made up. Now imagine restrained mid-range palettes and a nearly serifless logo. Last but not least, layer in a friendly tone of voice that lets you know that the folks who made this thing know you better than any of the other big guys ever could, or maybe even you know yourself. And now you're in the world of brands. Here we are in a cut and paste world of brand offerings and there are capital and market forces driving this. Think about this. Ben Schott wrote this recently. He writes, all startups seek to disrupt and disintermediate a smug status quo or originate and dominate an entirely new niche. But what makes a brand a bland is duality, claiming simultaneously to be unique in product, groundbreaking in purpose, and singular in delivery, while slavishly obeying an identical formula of business model, look and feel, and tone of voice. Sound familiar to you? So what's next? It's got to break breaking the mold of breaking the mold a craving for distinction and real authenticity this won't last forever the fever will break if you want to build a brand that lasts there is a truism that lasts it's this history favors the bold look even the most committed and boring eventually get tired of chicken and a salad every night for dinner Sooner or later, folks are gonna get bored and see through all the faux I'm here for you, and start looking for something new to show up for them. They'll start to figure out that all of this, I see you, is really just an IPO play or an exit strategy, and there's signs that this is happening already. To learn more about it, head over to Bloomberg Business, where Ben Schott has detailed and deconstructed what so many of us have been thinking about this business lately. It's anything but bland, I'm Shane Hart, and you can find that information in the links to this podcast.
0: Be a beauty brand with a brain. This is a trend that we've seen growing at a rapid pace over the years. Proving your credibility with science is now a must. So lessons is a developer and manufacturer of patented and award-winning environmental protection formulas. Their mission is to enhance human well-being through the creation of extraordinary products that provide experiences to amplify the health and beauty of the skin. They offer brands custom product development and turnkey solutions that all feature innovative mineral, non-nanotechnology that makes zinc oxide work for everyone and gives brands the newest innovation in skin health. For more information, visit Solescent.com. That's S-O-L-E-S-E-N-C-E dot com. Kind of going back, I guess, to COVID and how you're working because among, I mean, you're responsible for a lot of things, but one of the things you drive is the creative process. And the creative process is so much about, you know, kind of meeting, looking, doing, how is that translated now that you're all not in one place? Has it been difficult or have you had to find a different way of working?
1: It's, we've mastered Teams, I tell you. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't played with Microsoft Teams, I I, I, I suggest (laughs) you do. So uh, it's a function of using Teams, FedEx. And uh, for the most part, we've had a couple offsite meetings that we'll do that when we have a lot of stuff to review, we'll go to somebody's backyard, set it up, everybody will come in. But I, I have to say it's it's going back to everybody just being diligent. And uh, also FaceTime is is pretty darn wonderful too. So all of those elements have allowed us to review things together. And we just keep passing things around from house to house.
0: Interesting. Um, You know, there are a lot you have a lot of competition now, but what is the criteria you look like you look for in a partner? Like you have a couple influencer brands, but you were very sort of early on. Um, You know, what is your vetting process?
1: Uh, So it's kind of a simple one. Um, It's it's goes back to that saying I said before, which is a point of view. We don't look for influencers or talent or celebrity. We look for CEO, founder, partner, entrepreneur. Two completely, completely different things. And we need people that, hey, I'm an influencer. That's that's how I make my money, but I'm really an entrepreneur. Hey, I'm an, an actress, also a celebrity, also an, an influencer, but that's just how I make my money. My real disposition, if you look at how I be, became successful at what I do, it's because I'm a complete type A entrepreneur and visionary. It's just, I'm a that when it came to creating content to post or that when it came to be, being an actress or an actor. And, and, but don't forget, I also own my own studio. So it's, it's different. And, and that's the vetting process. We, we, although this sounds, I don't want it to sound sort of like, hey, everybody wants to work with Mesa. I, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is we, it's a two-way street. When we have people contact us and, and they want to talk about perhaps investigating something, it's not just, oh my God, we got a call from X. Do you know how big that person is? Oh my God, we're going to totally do something with that person it's this sounds interesting but but we have to to use your term vet them the same way they have to vet us they they have to be a founder partner they have to bring vision and be adamant about their vision because we don't just incubate brands we bring products to market that have to be right for the market and they have to be sustainable you know we we, we, another thing we throw around all the time is that any fool can launch a product line it takes a genius to make one successful so we are looking for a founder partner sometimes to make a successful brand and my lord ever since this beauty brand incubation thing has become the kind of it thing, there are brands launched everywhere, and they come right in and right out. So it's uh, it's tough. It is absolutely positively a, a, a tough business, and, and tougher now because because the barriers to entry are low, and everybody wants to play this game. Post Kylie, it's turned into like the game to play.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it the influencer thing. It's, I mean, it's fascinating on many, on many levels. You know, we just recently did um, a webinar with a group of investors, um, and I asked them what they thought of um, influencer brands, and there were four people um, on the webinar, and they're like, we won't touch them. <laughs> not where we're investing their, um, the liability is too high yet. There's so much money being funneled in to funding these, these brands. And you kind of, you know, to, to your point, like the, the barrier to entry is pretty low, but you know, there's also, there's also a ton of people that just because they have a bunch of followers, does not mean that they can convert sales and run a business? It's, it's really different.
1: For, for sure.
0: I mean, do you where do you see the whole influencer um, trend evolving to? Because I, I, I think one thing that at least I've been seeing in COVID that, you know, that very kind of highly contoured, perfectly lit, perfectly done hair during this period of time just felt so wrong and so kind of out of touch. Um, and I wonder if we'll eventually go back to that or, you know, are we in sort of a kinder, gentler place where flaws and imperfections are embraced?
1: Uh, it's a really good question, starting with the, your, your latter part of your your statement. It's so hard to know. There's a huge side of me that just feels like we're going to eventually settle in exactly right back to where we were before humans are very much creatures of habit and, and we kind of just start to we start to rely on what's comfortable for us. I mean look, smoking kills you. People still smoke. Don't don't text and drive. Don't drink and drive. So we, we, we want to do what's comfortable <laughs> for us. That's right. Wear a mask. So I just think that, that there'll that that there will definitely be some lasting changes that come from this. I think you'll see more people working from home. Uh, I do think you'll see people doing rotation within businesses where maybe you're three days in the office and two days at home or some fashion thereof. I think some businesses that are going to turn out like the insurance industry where we really didn't need an office in the first place where they'll look to save that revenue. So I do think we're certainly going to see some some lasting changes, uh, but I do think ultimately we'll we'll slowly start moving back to where we were before and, and this thing that was was the everything in our life will kind of be a thing in the past. Like often happens with, with, with us. Um, I think influencer influencer brands where that's going to go, boy, it is such a hard one. I keep because I'm, because I'm a person that enjoys experience. My life is built of experience. I think you can't create things if you're not present so I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Instagram on purpose because then I won't be present. And being present allows me to be better at my job. I don't know how I could do what I what I do if I'm not present because um, it's about people and textures and colors and lighting and, and feel that you can't get by looking at a screen. But on the same hand, followers aren't shrinking. The, the, the alpha generation is going to be plugged into their phone. So I do feel that influencers, as we call them now, will evolve into something and morph as all things do. But I do believe that the alpha generation is going to be moved by them and always yeah. will be.
0: You know, you touching on, you know, being present and the fact that, you know, you want to be, you want to touch and feel and experience things, you know, you guys, you guys have to be so creative at such sort of not only a high level, but you turn out an enormous amount of concepts, Like, how do you, where do you find your inspiration and how do you keep your creative team and the marketing team that helps sort of creating these concepts? Like, how do you keep them in engaged and kind of working creatively at that level? And how do you get them unstuck when they're stuck?
1: It, It goes back to a few things, talent for sure. We're really lucky to be surrounded by really, really talented people. And it's this sort of think tank, there are no bosses, we all work together element that allows this talent to thrive. And then from there, we are very careful about structure. And the way we work that structure is to not exhaust people is our big entrepreneurship is broken down into a bunch of little entrepreneurships. So when you might look at Mesa and go, wow, look at what you guys produce, it's, it's that's just the house. There's a bunch of rooms in that house filled with a bunch of people and each one of those rooms might only be responsible for one thing, or two things. So that person wakes up every day and eats, sleeps and drinks that. And it kind of goes back to when we were talking about partnering up with, with founder partners that have vision, that's what we're lucky to surround ourselves with within Mesa. So each person that's in that little house, in this big house, is freed up to have that vision, that passion, they're a true entrepreneur that eats, sleeps and drinks that brand every single day. And they push, they push, and we push them to push. And they're an environment that they know and are taught, you don't take no for an answer, you don't stop. You, you, you wake up and you second guess every day that, that that the fools live in the black and white and the geniuses live in the gray. So do not be afraid to wake up and say, no, I'm absolutely, I absolutely have to rethink this right here, right now. And that's how we, that's how we don't get stale.
0: So what, what is inspiring you now? You know, I think, I think this period of time, like it's, you know, on a business perspective, it's, it's tough. I mean, people are struggling to keep their doors open, but there has been so much creativity that has gone on as well. I think, you know, creative people are always looking, um, to sol- to solve problems. Right. But what are some of the most creative solutions or, or things that have inspired you most recently?
1: I don't know about being inspired creatively. Um, from the past five, six months here, but I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint and a management standpoint, although I hate to use that word, but I've been inspired to be the best version of myself I can to be sure that everybody that I'm fortunate enough to work with understands that, Everybody matters. Everybody counts that we are just a group of people that are vulnerable to a multitude of things, whether it's a virus or whether it's discrimination um, or whether it's the sense of feeling ignored um, and, and needing to be heard because they're human just like everybody else. So those have definitely inspired me to try to do everything I can to keep Mesa a place where you know that you have a job and that you can come to work and, and feel like you're part of something. And that's the most important thing. I, I, I feel sad for people that go to work and there's sort of the two personas. There's my work persona and God forbid at work I'd be my real persona. And on the weekend, you might dress differently, talk differently, act differently, compose differently. And and that's a disgusting way to have to go through life because you're going to give the majority of your good waking years to your, quote unquote, employer. And my Lord, man, if you can't show up and be yourself, that's just that's painful. So I've just been inspired to try to double down on that and just know that be here, be yourself yourself do what you can to just try to make the world a better place, a more pretty place, a more, a more, more tolerant place, more accepting place. I mean, we should wake up and, and, and the whole world should just be beautiful in every way, shape or form. Otherwise, you know, what the F. So just been yeah. trying to double down on that.
0: You know, I think one of the, the, the most interesting thing that's come out of this time is so many people because they're working remotely have decided to go home and spend time with family. Um, which kind of gives you a whole different perspective on life. It's made us all slow down a little bit and really sort of appreciate those things in life that matter. And, and, you know, um, like you said, work is a big part of that. And what role does that play? It should play a meaningful part. Um, it shouldn't just be a paycheck. I think.
1: Yeah, it, it should. It, it, as as I said, I mean, if you really, let's say do the math and I did it once yeah. and it's scary, <laughs> but do the math of, Of when you got your first job to the day that you'll retire and you are going to give outside of sleeping um, as being number two, number one, you're going to give more waking hours to your job with second being sleeping. And so that's why. It's why important to to understand that not only as an employer, but as a person.
0: So I have one last question. You know, you uh, you and Mesa, you kind of have a unique perspective, um, you know, in the beauty industry because you're you're incubating brands and and in many ways you're brand owners. But you also have very unique insight into retailers and what's going on because you're also building brands for them, and you're also a very global business. So you know, you guys were dealing with. COVID way before anyone else was because, you know, a lot of your manufacturing is in China, you know, given that perspective and knowing that they're, you know, at the end of the day, the beauty industry will always be sort of inspired by indie beauty brands and entrepreneurs. But if there is one piece of advice that you could give someone just getting started in the industry right now that could change their, the course of their business, what might it be?
1: I personally feel that we live in a world like we sort of live in or not sort of, we do live in identity politics. People want to associate themselves with people they feel represent them in everywhere, shape or form. I think that is now translated or transformed into into the products that we buy. We want to buy stuff from companies that are like us. We, 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 who are they? Who, who works there? What do they stand for? What do they stand for in every way, shape or form? Do those things mean something to me? And if they do, I, I now have the luxury that I could find those places. And then that's who I'm going to support. And so I if I guess I can give one piece of advice is be sure that you are making something that is truly authentic to its core. Because people are going to want to buy, I feel personally, and driven by and driven to buying products that are authentic to them.
0: I agree. There's a lot of just stuff in the world, but the stuff that has purpose and meaning is the stuff that sells, I think, or is around Mm -hmm. for the long term. I agree. Scott, thank you so much for having this conversation. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of the work you guys do. And I also, I love the culture you have because, you know, when people ask me, um, because you grow so fast, you're always looking to fill positions. And when people ask me, well, do you know anything about Mesa? What, it, what is it like to, to work there? And I'm like, you know, for people who are really young, I'm like, you'll never find a place where you can learn more faster, but you have to be prepared to work really, really hard. And I really do think you you create a, a really unique experience for people to kind of build careers because they are exposed to so much at a, at kind of like a very early stage in their career. And I know that you guys are very very committed to kind of support people's growth within the within the organization. Um, and that's also rare now, I think. So big fan Thank of you guys. You. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. Um, and I look forward to seeing you in real life soon. I hope.
1: <laughs> yes. I'd love, if you haven't been, we'd love for you to come and see our new office. We're very, very, very part of it.
0: Yeah. And it's in my neighborhood. I, I live downtown, so, um, I definitely will when we're back to some state of normal. So thanks Scott. For Scott, it's a matter of conceptualization. Running a successful brand incubator requires not only equal parts right brain and left brain thinking, but fully integrated thinking, where creativity happens through the lens of concept viability grounded in cost of goods and supply chain realities. For two decades, Mesa has quietly worked behind the scenes of the beauty industry, fine-tuning the incubator model and the operational infrastructure. They are the engine behind Kristen S. Haircare launched with Target and Drew Barrymore's Flower Beauty launched with Walmart, as well as countless other brands created for retailers around the world. It seems like Mesa was purpose-built to capitalize on this unique moment in the beauty industry by retaining their entrepreneurial DNA and building a culture around it while leveraging the well-oiled machine that's been refined over decades private label has never looked so good. So in the end, it's a matter of conceptualization. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Oshry, and what matters to me is conceptualization. Because if it's not new, better, different, relevant, and accessible, it might not work.
0: It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC, Copyright 2020. You can find more content and insights on BeautyMatter.com and follow us on social media at BeautyMatterOfficial. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.